We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. And just like that, the 2020-2021 Indiana Pacers season has come to an end. Welcome to Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Golden. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Michael J. Focci. Focci, tough game last night. Tough game. I don't want to call this episode like a eulogy, as we were mentioning offline. But yeah, it's a farewell to the season. Uh, Last night was a game that it did not go well, and that puts it easy. I mean, the, the Pacers, it looked like... It looked like they were deflated kind of early on, and that whole second half almost felt like a blur of watching some pretty rough basketball. Yeah, so insert everything I said on our last podcast about the Charlotte Hornets' performance against the Pacers and reinsert that for the Pacers' performance against the Washington Wizards. Absolutely embarrassing, completely ridiculous how they just did not show up to play for this game. And one thing I will say, Nate Bjorkman was brought in to replace Nate McMillan because he's an X's and O guru. He he loves the playoffs. He loves to change things up, blah, blah, blah. No, <laughs> he didn't change anything up. Continued to play the same uh, unsuccessful strategic defense against Russell Westbrook. Once again, the Wizards got their way with the Pacers. Pacers had absolutely no fight. Um, when I saw Sabona struggling a little bit in the beginning of the game with Alex Lennon, they were kind of force-feeding him down there. I thought to myself, this is not when the Pacers are at their best. No. Sabonis on the block one-on-one is not their best basketball. I mean, 
I love Sabonis. I know you do too, but that's just not a recipe for success. It has not been for this team the entire season. So when I saw that, Foch, I just looked at myself and I said, oh, this is going to be one of those games. But we happened to only be down by one point after the first quarter. And I thought to myself, okay, this might be a pretty close game. I'm thinking to myself, we're going to have a really tight game going into the end of it. And then I see Nate Bjorkren trot out five bench players in and. Let me just put it this way. When you already have three bench players starting to play an all bench lineup after that in a play-in game when it's winter go home, that does not make any sense to me. No, it doesn't at all. And I don't want to like pinpoint it to that lost us the game, but we never recovered from that. And that, that was the big difference because, you know, like you mentioned, Pacers were down one after the first quarter. Well, a couple minutes later, it was 34, 34. And then that was it. Washington mm-hmm. went on a 16-0 run. They never looked back. And before you even knew it, the, at halftime, the game felt completely out of reach. I believe it was like close to a 15-point game. The Washington, who had, they, Washington had crushed us in the paint across, you know, all the games mostly. They had 40 points in the paint, and they were shooting 56% from the field at halftime. Well, the Pacers ended up with 40 points in the paint. So that just shows this game across the board, Washington was superior. I mean, from a a field goal shooting uh, perspective, from a rebound perspective, from a free throw perspective, I mean, three-point shooting, I mean, everything you could ask for, it came just too easy to them. And at, at that point, I mean... This was a Pacers team that they, like you mentioned, that first quarter, that was it. They, they peaked right there. Trailing by one was basically as good as it got. And to just kind of rehash some of the field goal percentages that Washington shot against the Pacers over that four-game stretch of this year, 55%, 61%, 45%, and then 58%. They got anything they wanted. Yeah, and I, will, and I won't lie that if the free throw discrepancy was only five at, at the end of the game, yeah. but – if you, I think I tweeted with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, like it had been like like a 14 to 15 point difference in free throws attempted. So it just goes to show you who was kind of the more aggressive team and who was getting the, the calls more than who was. And I'm not saying the Pacers deserved any of those calls because quite frankly, they didn't have anybody really attacking yeah. the rim outside of the Sabonis post-ups. And that's why I think if you look at this game, you mentioned it points in the paint, 72 to 40. You're not going to win Oof. if you're giving up a plus 32 in the paint. So they were the Pacers were a minus 32 with points in the paint yet again they got out rebounded by 12 I think a lot of that just goes to the number of shots that we missed yeah we just shot poorly 15 of 41 from three for 36 percent the Wizards were 50 percent on 14 of 28 shooting so all in all the Wizards just had a more efficient night and it's really embarrassing like earlier this year when we were getting creamed by the Bucks Giannis Antetokounmpo was taking pictures in the photographer's camera and, and we're like wow okay this is embarrassing Last night in a playing game, Russell Westbrook took his shoes off and threw him to a fan to start the fourth quarter. That's how bad it was. And, I mean, you know, Sabonis had a triple-double, but he did not play well last night. Yeah. I I was so disappointed in his performance, but at the same time, they just didn't have anything else. They they didn't. I I can't let it go when you mentioned Sabonis had a triple-double because I wanted to make sure I hit on – one of the saddest tweets I've seen this year, the Pacers Twitter handle goes triple-double alert, and it's like, we are down almost 40 right now. Like, 
I don't want to hear about a triple double alert. That, that was like, they were fishing to just be like, we got to get something positive out there. And it's like, no, absolutely not. It was a triple double like that just makes you feel like they, they are, it, the stat is just so overrated these days because the game really wasn't close. It wasn't at all. Sure. He put up numbers, but this was a game where the numbers didn't translate. Really? No one looked good for the Pacers yesterday. Uh, I mean, it was just overall, I mean, you obviously you got the announcers mistaken Keelan Martin for a shaper set and, and all of that, just like em- embarrassing things. And because, you know, the, M- the masses of NBA fans don't get to watch the Pacers quite often. I mean, I was getting a flurry of texts of like, so what happens now? Do you guys rebuild or like, or like this, this and that, like guys that just had not watched a single Pacers game all year, make it seem like the sky's falling. And Ox, we talked about it. This team, I mean, making it here, I don't want to say that that was impressive enough, but they stood no chance against Philly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was something that I got to the point where I was like, look, I had my fun against Charlotte. Sure, like, I'm not going to openly hope that we just get, you know, abused against Washington by any means, but we weren't going to beat Philly by any means. That could have been real rough. So, hey, in the end – we pushed what we could to the brink and the Pacers just flat out ran out of gas. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's been a long season. It has. At at the end of the day, I just think that the Pacers were without the most important position on the floor and that's wing players. Oh yeah. Not having TJ Warren and Karis LeVert. I mean, obviously Warren's been out all year. It's not an excuse, but not having Karis LeVert for this game. You mentioned it on the pod we did uh, on Wednesday. He, He had 35 points, I believe it was, the last time these two teams matched up. And And 33 before that. Yeah, so he was going to have a monster game, uh, more than likely. I mean, he's just a guy that's a a bucket getter, and he's the best bucket getter on the team this season with T.J. Warren not being there. So I think that those two are kind of like neck and neck for who's the best bucket getter, but I'm just not putting my faith in Malcolm Brogdon to get me buckets. It took him 23 shots to get 24 points last night. Just a guy to me, like he he had a couple – Nice baskets there to start up the first quarter. He kind of had that P.J. Washington moment like we remember back when the Pacers beat the Hornets. Like it was like, oh, Washington finally got a couple baskets to make the the Hornets, you know, look like they might be waking up. And that's kind of what Brogdon did for the Pacers. I just I look at Malcolm Brogdon and I think to myself that he's such a hard guy to, guy to read. And a lot of people are saying he's got to go. He's he's not the right guy. He's not the right thing. And Quite frank with me, I, I don't really know where I stand with him quite uh, all the way yet. But if he's the fourth option next season, I think that's fine. If you bring him back, I, I just think that you cannot bring back the double big. But we can get into that a little bit later. Is there anything else you want to hit on from this game? No, not so much. I know you mentioned, you know, Brogdon struggles. Yeah, he had those seven points earlier in the first quarter. And, you know, other than that, kind of really struggled for the rest. Didn't really seem like much of a, a presence in there and just – Overall, like I mentioned before, it just felt like the gas was just fully run out. The Pacers really did not have much to offer. Um, And then, you know, having a guy like Miles Turner in this game would have been a big difference. I mean, you're talking about points in the paint. I mean, we mentioned Washington having over 70. It's not just that. Like Daniel Gafford was eating us alive. I mean, I felt... I felt disrespected by that. I was thinking, come on, we got to draw the line somewhere. But Gafford, had, he had played well against the Pacers. I know he played well, you know, kind of for Washington since they made the trade. But 15 points, 13 rebounds, and then he had five blocks by halftime. I was like, there's just no way that this is going to end well. You know, <laughs> so it would have been great to obviously have, you know, that's why I had I had some of my friends saying, should I bet the Pacers? And I went, 
don't do that. I was like, look, we are, we are without three to four starters. I mean, really like you just don't want to go down that path. This is a game that I did think was going to be more competitive. I did. I thought the Pacers would keep this game within like five, you know, either way, maybe they could win by a couple points. Maybe they lose by like five. I did not expect to be, you know, down by as much as 38. That was just, it, it was bad, and the, the plug needed to be pulled. Well, yeah, and, and quite frankly, the biggest problem to me was just the, the lack of energy the Pacers came out with. Exactly. It was, they came out completely flat. It, it Really what it felt like to me, Fachi, you remember in 2000, I believe it was 12-13, when the Pacers forced a Game 7 against the Miami Heat. Oh, my God, that was it, devastating. It, yeah, and they Lost got to like Game 30. 7. Yeah, but that's what it felt like. It's like – you know, the first quarter was semi-competitive. You thought, okay, you know, we're still kind of in this second and third quarter. We just got completely obliterated. And I'm like, man, this is like 2012, 2013 PTSD all over again. And it was unfortunate because I feel like, you know, this team had been playing better towards the end of the season. They had a really nice win against Charlotte. And my biggest fear was, one, they made too many shots against Charlotte that they wouldn't hit the same amount. Um, playing against a Washington team. So I think that number one is true, but I just think that the law of averages just say that. And then number two, winning so big can kind of get you a little bit more confident in yourself than you really are. And if you look at this team overall, they just weren't that good all year long. I mean, they're very up and down, very inconsistent and very average. So that's who they showed up last night to be. They were a very below average team. They were on the bottom of that roller coaster and it was not fun to watch because Nate Bjorkman did zero adjusting to what had previously happened in the three games in the regular season. Why are we guarding Russell Westbrook above the three-point line? Because he's such a good three-point shooter? Absolutely not. No. He thrives in getting to the paint, kicking it out, or going over somebody and laying it in or dunking on somebody. That's just what his game is. He doesn't want to shoot the three. He wants to put pressure on people at the rim. And we basically just said, Here's a wide open gate to do that. And, you know, Bradley Beal had a pretty good game, but overall I, I knew it was going to come down to the role players. And I thought the role players for, for Washington were just so much better than the Pacers role players in the game last night. Home court might've had something to do with that. We talked about the importance of home court in the playoffs and how that can make you feel more comfortable playing at home. But I thought, like you said, Daniel Gafford looked like the best, the best center out of the three that Washington had for sure. He was an animal, and it was just kind of embarrassing to see him, not not that he's a bad player, but to see him dominate both Goga pretty much, and not dominate Domas, but he played very well against Domas, and then to completely take Goga pretty out of the game. I thought Goga was absolutely terrible in this game, and it makes me a little concerned, not entirely, like I'm not like being dramatic, but just a little concerned about who he is as a backup center full-time. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's the highs and lows because he did look good against Charlotte. He had a double-double there. He had, he had like three blocks, and, you know, that was nice to see. He he definitely came out flat. I mean, he played 17 minutes of basketball yesterday where not much was contributed. I mean, we're talking zero points. We're talking two rebounds. Sure, he had, he had three assists, but it's like – it just wasn't good. I mean, even out of his three shots, two of them were threes. I mean, you you wanted to see a little bit more. I at least felt, you know, encouraged from that Charlotte game. So it is the highs and lows in NBA where one night you could be great, the next you could be, you know, unsuccessful. We'll put it that way. But, yeah, I mean, that definitely wasn't the kind of game that you go into the offseason being like, hey, Goga's definitely ready. Let's move one of the bigs. Now instead it's like, 
we have to move one of the bigs, and we're just going to hope that Goga takes that next step and is ready. Oh, I completely agree. It's it's you cannot run this back. You cannot you can't, run this I, back. Absolutely not. Uh, if they if they run this back and bring Bjorkman back, no, no. I don't even know if I can watch this team next year. To be it, honest, it would be you. brutal. It would be painful to watch. I mean, I, I tweeted out yesterday. I wasn't hurt by the loss, but it was painful to watch because I just felt like it was. You just kept seeing them brick shot after shot after shot. Washington was going the other way on transition, just getting baskets. And then the Pacers, from a transition standpoint, it five points transition all night. I mean, there was nothing going on yeah. at all. So it, it was it was real tough. Just ugh. for a well, team, the Pacers averaged sixteen point six fast break points to only have five in the game. It was just like it shows that that that's two possessions right there. That's it. Yeah, and all in all, like the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. This Pacers team, they're, they've been up and down, like I said just recently. But I, I, I don't understand why I'm seeing so many players on this team in these exit interviews or in these post-game press conference talk about, oh, I really like what we've built here. We've got a good foundation. You know, I don't think we should overreact. We had a lot of injuries. Like, we cannot keep using the injury excuse for the level no. of play. I'm sorry. Year. I mean, sure. Get someone that's healthy then. Go out and find a guy that has a track record of being healthy because if you got too many guys, like Turner misses time every year. Brogdon misses time every year. Warren, besides last year, misses time almost every year. So the Pacers have taken a risk by going out and getting guys that are so, somewhat injury prone to try to compensate for what they can get on the market of like going out and getting a LeBron or Durant or like a, a top tier player. Like this is what they have. So I'm not sitting here saying championship or bust. Like anybody that says that's being unrealistic, but we missed the playoffs this year after we were supposed to be better than a four seed for the reasoning of firing McMillan. The players thought that they deserved a coach that could give them a better chance to win in the playoffs, and they can't even get into the playoffs. So, sure, you can blame injuries. You can blame the Vic trade for Levert and Levert being out for two months with his uh, with his kidney situation. I just – I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of – these guys on this team so happy-go-lucky all the time. Nah, you just lost by 30-some points to the Washington Wizards who have dominated you every single game this year. It's not even just a matchup problem. It's just a heart problem with these guys because they've lost every important game they've had to play, it feels like, in the last you know three seasons when it comes to the playoffs. I'm not counting that Hornets game because the Hornets were so raw and, and into the uh, experience of the playoffs. Like when it came down to playing guys that had been there before the Pacers just laid down. And I, I know that people are like, well, you're overreacting. It was a playing game with a depleted roster. Maybe I am, but I'm just sick and tired of seeing bad basketball. I, I want to see this team make some serious changes this off season. I, I'm talking, I'm talking, if you bring Bjorken back, that that's me is just completely asinine. If you run back the double bigs, double asinine. And if you think Jeremy Lamb and Aaron Holiday are going to be key rotational players next year under a new coach, that is triple asinine. So that is why I really believe 
Sorry, Fachi, I'm rambling. I know I've been going for a minute here, but I, I truly believe they have to make some serious roster moves and they have to make this bench and this starting lineup more modern and better for the future of this team. They absolutely have to. Now, Alex, you can make an argument that where the Pacers ended this season might have been the worst case scenario. We're not a playoff team, but we were the closest thing to a playoff team. Therefore, we're at the bottom of the lottery. I mean, there's this this is like it could have gone worse and we could have benefited from it earlier on by picking, you know, early maybe seven, eight, whatever it is. Now we're we're stuck of basically, you know, trying to think of this as a glass half full, like. Oh, but what about a healthy TJ Warren, you know, Karis LeVert and, and all them, you know, Hey, anything could happen. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm tired of that mystery box of like, Hey, if this team stays healthy, we don't stay healthy in the NBA injuries is a major part of things. And Justin holiday even had a quote. He was basically saying, he was talking to some of the rookies saying how, you know, not a normal NBA season this we just went through and that all the restrictions on and off the court, less time to rest between the games, less practice time, less preparation. Yes, it was, it was a tough year, but everybody went through that. That's the thing. It's not like the Pacers just had this like awful schedule where, you know, they were, they were traveling way more than anyone else and, and uh, way more back to backs and this, this and that. And like, no, that, that was not the case. And, and you know what? I'm tired of the excuses. Uh, changes need to be made. I don't know who's out there, but here's the thing. You know, guys like TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott just had career years, and they're both free agents. And uh, there's a very real scenario where neither guy comes back to the Pacers. Now look at that bench, and you start to go, ooh, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of talent over there. So, you know, that that's the thing. That's what's tough when you didn't have a draft pick last year in the first round. Yeah. You know, like it's there, there's a lot of question marks that you're wondering, where's that next level coming from? And I think that that's going to have to be in the trade market. I think you're going to have to, Pritchard in the front office, they're really going to have to do their due diligence to bring back a package that can really make this team better and not just get back to where we were before because otherwise the inevitable, the inevitable question is going to become when do you blow it up? Yeah. The Pacers aren't going to blow it up. They never, they never will. They never will, but they won't, they won't start asking it. And you know, and then that's, and that's when it gets tough because you know, we looked at it. A lot of these guys, they're signed for two more years. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. So I don't want to call that our window because like you mentioned, that's not fair. We're not two years away from winning at all, but (laughs) <laughs> we're getting to that point where we're going to have a lot more questions and not enough answers. Yeah. I, I think that the biggest question for me is, are we able to compete with the teams that are, you know, getting better that are younger? I mean, look, no. New York and Atlanta are younger teams. I mean, Atlanta, I mean, New York, they've got Julius Randle. They've got a weird lineup, but got a lot of cap. They, they do. And I think that they're only going to get better as long as Tibbs is there and they can continue to figure out this thing with Randall. RJ Barrett really took a step forward he this did. year. I absolutely love what I've seen from him. But then you've got guys like Reggie Bullock, who is hitting threes like left and right and, and, and playing good defense. You've got Emmanuel Quickly, who has been really good for them off the mm-hmm. bench and Derek Rose. And they just have guys that fit the roster. But to me, they're not better on paper than the Pacers are. No. But at the same time, because of this successful season and that they won a playoff round, 
which I don't have them winning. I think the Hawks do beat them, but if they do win a playoff round, I think that the the bright lights of New York could lure some free agent guys there. Without a doubt. And even they could they could even be a little bit more aggressive on the trade market, having that cap space, being able to absorb some contracts. So I, I say keep an eye on them for making moves. And then of course Atlanta, they are incredibly young. They've got so many good guys. And we were like talking about them passing the pace this year. We're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. The Pacers are still the better team on paper, which, you know, I think that's more for debate than it ever has been, you know, especially going back to the beginning of the year. But at the same time, I still think that if we were fully healthy, we might've finished above them. It might've been close, but had we had uh, TJ Warren all season long, I think he does make that big of a difference. So those two teams passed us. Toronto fell back this year, but I think they're going to be okay because they've got a lot of young athletic guys and they're super young and a lot of their pieces fit. I, I, them playing in Tampa, I think, really made all of their games road games, which is a lot different. And that just really puts a damper on their season. But Brooklyn as well. I mean, we know they've got three a three-headed monster there in Brooklyn. And they've got Joe Harris. They've got Blake Griffin. They've got a really good team. So they're the favorites more than likely to win the Eastern Conference. They passed us. So we had three teams pass us. Washington passed us. Four teams jumped in front of us that were behind us last year, um, not even in the playoffs. So Brooklyn, I guess, did make the playoffs as a seven seed or eight seed last year, but still a team that had, you know, got a lot of better players. So that's where I'm sitting. Like, if all these teams are getting better and we're regressing, you cannot stay the same. And that's all I'm going to get into because we have a lot to talk about this offseason, potential moves, stuff like that. But I, I did have some interesting information that I, I kind of wanted to share if you're up for it, Fudge. Oh, I'm up for it. Bring it on. Okay, so I don't report anything unless I am told from a source. And so this is not a source, but someone did reach out to me. They are family. They are friends with a family member that's in the NBA. So I'll just put it at that. And basically, they sent me this, and I didn't really think too much of it, but they said earlier – in the season before the deadline, there was a trade that the Pacers did not pull the trigger on, but they were close. It was Cody Zeller and PJ Washington for Miles Turner. And apparently the Pacers said no to that deal from what they were said, what they were told. So if that's the case, would you have been interested in that trade? I mean, Look, when you, when you know how things turned out over here, it's like, oh, well, that's tough. Turner ends up missing a third of the year. I, I love me some P.J. Washington. I, I do. I do think that he's going to be a very good player um, in the league, you know, someone I wanted coming out of the draft. Cody Zeller, I've never really been in thrill, you know, thrilled with. I know, you know, IU fans, you know, they got a soft spot for Cody Zeller. <laughs> he went seven uh, for seven against us. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He did. And he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good player. He should have never been picked as high as he was picked. Fourth overall, kind of in my mind, put the set the bar pretty high for him. That he's, that whole draft was a crapshoot. Anthony Bennett was the first pick, right? Uh, yo, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> uh, that was that was pretty rough. So you know, it is what it is. But um, man, that, that's that's tough. I would have liked to tell you the truth in that situation if there was a pick involved. I think at that point it would have been a no brainer, even if it was like a future pick or like a you know a top ten protected pick, something like that. So I could see both sides. If you're of a healthy Miles Turner, I think this year we would have benefited more. Long term, yeah, PJ Washington could end up being, you know, probably at least offensively a better player. Yeah. So it, it's tough. I don't blame the Pacers for not pulling trig 
if, if Turner's healthy, I don't think we're really talking about this as much. Yeah, they said that Cody and PG already heard they were about to go to Indiana, but the Pacers pulled out at the last minute. Oh, wow, so that sounds like it was really at, at, uh, and, at the, and, you know, the buzzer. And we heard we heard uh, Zach Lowe talk about it a lot, that Charlotte made a lot of sense for Miles Turner. And so what I'll basically say to this whole thing is the reason that it does make sense is Cody Zeller is a free agent after this season, so you get off that salary, but they needed that salary to make that Turner contract match up. I think the Pacers probably would have had to send somebody else out, I think, to make the salaries match in that deal. But they could have maybe maybe absorbed that contract with their uh, with their um, luxury tax. I'm not sure how all that works. Maybe they had a little bit of a trade exception from the Vic trade. I'm not 1,000% sure. But what I will say is that deal makes sense because of P.J. Washington being on a rookie contract. Of course. And, and Cody Zeller being a free agent because – that would have given them the extra money to go out and sign Doug McDermott in the offseason. And that's where my next question comes to you, Foch. Doug McDermott was really good this year, and he actually he played really well in the two playing games. I mean, last, last night, nobody really played great, but I thought that they could have done more to get him involved on the yeah. offensive end. I don't think they went to him. No, no one's going to blame McDermott for his performance. You know, it's yeah. not like it was like he completely was a ghost, you know, five of 12, three of seven from three point line. Like, look, when you don't shoot good as a team, he, he was on par with basically what everybody else was doing, you know? So let me just have you rank these players one to four and most likely to come back one being they're the most likeliest to come back four being the least likeliest. Uh, we'll do three players in Nate Bjorkren. So Turner, TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott, Nate Bjorkren. Rank those for me. Wow, that is tough. That is tough. <laughs> you you would think that Miles Turner would come in as most likely to come back. But if you're going to trade the bigs, it's like I'm, I'm sorry for, for all the Miles Turner lovers, but I don't see the Pacers trading Sabonis. I don't. I just don't think that there's going to be enough of a package there you know, it seems like you're limited on trade suitors. So uh, I'm going to say that uh, least likely to come back, I, th I think is going to be, I think it's probably Doug McDermott. Honestly, I think. Over I think, Bjorkren. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's rough to say. Look, I don't want Bjorkren back, but I think that Doug McDermott earned himself some good money. And, you know, friend of the show, Rhett, Rhett Bauer tweeted out what some other, you know, great shooters were getting in the league. And, McDermott's coming off of basically making, you know, $7 million a year. I think that he's probably earned at least $15 million a year. $15 million? $15 million. Oh, I don't see that. I'm telling you right now. What do you think McDermott gets? I'm going to say 12, and I think he takes a hometown discount to stay with the Pacers. Well, he gets 12 if he takes the discount. Because <laughs> there, there is going to be teams – that wants shooters. He's coming off of a career year. If you're Doug McDermott, this is your chance to cash in. And yeah. I think to tell you the truth, if the Pacers sign Doug McDermott. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. That's it. Yeah. This yeah. is who. This is what the team is. So I, I think that they need to make a wise decision to be like, they want McDermott back, but he's not going to be returning for like ten million dollars a year. I yeah. just don't. I don't see that happening. So yeah, I see. I disagree with you a little bit because I think that McDermott is always tradable, and if he's making twelve million a year, that's a very tradable contract. Jeremy Lamb's in his final year of his contract, so basically, once you get Lamb off the books next season, or if you trade him this season, in the off season you pretty much just fulfill that roster spot and that cap space with Doug McDermott. Now, 12 million to me seems like a pretty good number for him because he's only making, what was it? Seven, seven. this year. Yeah. So that's a $5 million increase on one per year. So $15 million raise <laughs> sounds pretty good to shoot a basketball and not play the greatest of defense. Now, the only thing that I will say that I would be a little bit hesitant to see if they bring him back at that number is if they change coaches and the coach plays a totally different style and it does not fit McDermott because the, the McMillan system worked okay in the regular season, but not the postseason. So mm-hmm. that's where I think we Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Saw a lack of success for McDermott in the postseason. So that's where I'm like, I don't really think $12 million is that big of a contract to, to bring him back on. Now, if it causes you to go to the luxury tax and you really want to keep him, then you can find ways to offload guys. Like, they could probably trade Aaron Holiday to a team for a second-round pick if they wanted to keep McDermott. And that's what it would cost them. Or the same with Jeremy Lamb, like maybe attach Lamb with a future pick or something just to try to make him some cap space to keep McDermott. Do I think McDermott's worth all that hassle? Probably not. But at the end of the day, I think that he is a, what would you say, a, you know, a, a six-man candidate for this team with how well he played this yeah. season? Yeah. So, so that's where I'm at. McConnell is a position of need that the Pacers really – the point guard position I feel like is the Pacers' biggest – weakness yeah aside from um aside from a true four i think that's where oche Brissett really thrived was because he was really their only true small ball four that they had now if warren comes back healthy he can do that a little bit i don't know if i want to trust him doing that the whole time but i think that you can make a good case that he'll be productive in that role right there but yeah i just think point guard is very important to this team tj mcconnell is a leader with that second unit he brings energy every night very consistent and that's one thing that you what you don't get a lot from guys off this bench like Goga, like Jeremy Lamb, like Aaron Holiday. None of them are consistent. Justin Holiday, I mean, he's pretty consistent, but I feel like it was hard to tell this year because he was asked to do a, a play a bigger role. But for the guys that got regular rotation minutes, that is one thing McConnell brought was consistency every single game. And I feel like, you know, McDermott did the same thing. So if you're picking between two of them, McConnell's a cheaper route. 
if you're picking between the two of them and you want to stay modern and, and continue to improve the offense and improve your team, I think you have to go with McDermott here. It's really tough, Foch. I, I do think that Turner is, is traded this offseason for uh, for better or for worse. I mean, that's up for debate depending on what they get back. And I, I definitely think Bjorkren is the guy that is out of here for sure. So I would go McConnell, McDermott, Turner, Bjorkren are most likely to, to remain a pacer. I, I think McConnell is most likely. I, I do. Yeah, I that's do. why I had him number one. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's here's my theory. One, from going through some numbers in my head, I could see McDermott landing a four-year, $52 million deal. That's $13 million per year. I could see that if it's mm-hmm. not, you know, 15. But it, depend, it depends how things shake out. I mean, there's going to be some team. Is shooting is always going to be needed in today's NBA. And I just don't want the Pacers to blow their load on – on Don Doug McDermott. I really don't. I just, I just feel like how much like McDermott played really good. I mean, like I tweeted out earlier today, he shut me up this year for so long. So many episodes. I said, I want the guy that we signed at 1201 in free agency. And he finally, he finally delivered this year. I do. I do. Like I said, it's his chance to chase the bag, get that last big contract. I think he gets it. I think it's elsewhere. I, I, I appreciated that. He said that he wanted to be a pacer. I think everybody kind of said, you know, you say the right thing, but I felt like he meant it. I felt like it was like, if the money's right, I would love to be a Pacer. But when you look at a guy. He loves playing with Domas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he thrived this year. He really did. But when you look at McConnell, who I believe was coming off of like basically making three, you know, maybe three and a half million dollars this year. I feel like it's realistic for McConnell to come back at like a three-year, $18 million deal. You give you give him $6 million. He's happy. He's happy to be here. I feel like the whole team loves playing with him. You're going to get nonstop hustle every single every single night. I just wonder, can McConnell take a next step? Because I feel like he played literally as good as he could have played this year. And I wonder what would be the next step for McConnell. But at that price tag being literally half as much, as McDermott's going to make, it just feels like the smarter decision when you really don't know the future of Aaron Holiday. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that, you know, McConnell's going to be back next year at probably right around that $6 million per year mark, which I can live with. I feel like you can live with, the whole fan base can live with. But yeah, there's going to be, you're going to have to get crafty to kind of get off that Jeremy Lamb contract because outside of those first 10 games or so, it was all downhill for Jeremy Lamb, and mm-hmm. I have no idea how next year is going to be, but that contract feels like it's getting moved, and maybe that's at the trade deadline, but that con- I, don't, I don't think he's going to finish his time as a pacer. I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but Scott Agnes did report in one of his articles that Jeremy Lamb did build a house in Charlotte, so I really think that he did enjoy his time there with the Hornets, and depending on what they want to do, if they want to like offload a contract or something like that, like here, here's what I'll say. If the Pacers wanted to go back out and try to get Gordon Hayward, if Charlotte is unwilling to part with Washington or Bridges because they want to stay younger and, and make a younger core and, and Hayward doesn't really fit that, you know, bill of their youth, then that would make more sense to be a salary filler and then give them continued space to make other moves. I could see him being a salary filler in that type of trade. But at the end of the day, I think also – you know, there's other places I think Jeremy Lamb could be valuable. And maybe somebody finds him as like a, hey, he's a, he's a guy that's an expiring and we can attach him somewhere. He's only making $10 million. 
And, and maybe if the Pacers decide to trade Brogdon, that you can maybe flip Brogdon and, and lay him together and, and get something. So that's where I'm at with him. I think he can be a throw-in piece because of his um, unrestricted free agency in 2022. But he's still maybe coming back from injury and having a full off season. He could maybe come back and be helpful for this team. Hey, if Charlotte wants him back, I'll hand deliver Jeremy Lamb. I'll drive him myself. But here's the thing. Look, unless they're willing to part with Gordon Hayward, I was just looking through their roster. And, like, I just don't know who else it would really work out salary-wise. I mean, because they have so many young players. And, you know, we're not going to make a trade for Terry Rozier. You know, it's just like – See, I don't don't know about that because I think that Terry Rozier makes some sense. Yeah, I mean, Terry had a, he had a really good year, and I think this should be you know his expiring year, so it'd be interesting. But I just think that they could do better than us trading. I mean, I guess you could try and get crafty to make the deal bigger if it was like Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb, and then you know for Terry Rozier and you know someone else would have to be included in there. I don't know if you could still get PJ Washington or anything of the sort, but uh, you know, but then where you fit in TJ, where you fit in Terry Rozier in there, if you don't deal Brogdon, because you're going to have Brogdon, you're going to have Levert. Maybe you're bringing back, you know, TJ McConnell, you'll still have Aaron holiday, maybe holidays thrown in the deal. You know, you'd have to, you'd have a lot of guards right there. that are looking for playing time. Yeah. I think what you'd have to do is play Warren at the four, move Karras to the three and then Brogdon and uh, Terry Rozier, maybe at the one and the two. Get you a lot of offensive firepower, that's for sure. Um, it's not necessarily the most beautiful thing. And yeah, honestly, no. and honestly, like, look, Terry Rozier might not like it, but you might just tell Terry he's going to be your sixth man. And I feel like he wouldn't like that. Well, get over it, bub. You know, like it's <laughs> easier said than done. I get it, but like, you cannot be, you cannot be that, you cannot be that selfish in a sense, like. He had a really good year, don't get me wrong, but like to me, only reason I would trade for Terry Rozier is if I'm trading Malcolm Brogdon. And I think that we saw how well Terry Rozier played off the ball next to LaMelo Ball. And I mm-hmm. think if they want to go the Levert route at point guard and kind of run it that way, then you could really see why having a guy like that that can just score. But see, like that's what the problem was with Charlotte in that game against the Pacers on Tuesday night. Terry Rozier is not a number one guy, and that's kind of what they were asking him to be for the offense. Like, hey, be our number one, and he just couldn't do it. But I think if he's like your number four or five, he's fine in that role. And that's where he should be, realistically. He could be like a three or a four option, something like that. But to be the number one guy, I mean, that's just I, – I don't want to invest in a team like that. Right, and I, I completely understand that. So it's – to me, I, it's, it's a hard thing to do. I think the most – Common trade would just to be basically trade PJ Washington for Miles Turner trade up and this put Miles under their salary cap. You know what I mean? Because they have that 28 million, they can absorb that contract. But at the same time, if they don't want to do that, this is where you can make this deal work. And Terry Rozier is an expiring contract as well. Yeah. So that's that to me is why is it is intriguing. So I'm not sure what the Pacers do, but I am excited for some moves and there was an article, somebody sent it to me in the Inquisitor, which, you know, I don't really in, include the Inquisitor and in things that I'm excited about when it comes to articles. But the Inquisitor said that the Pacers are comfortable with moving Brogdon because of what they liked from Levert as the point. So that's why I think that you could see that. But yeah, Foch, in, in this deal, I did Jeremy Lane for Miles and Miles Turner for PJ Washington and Terry Rozier. Gives the Pacers a plus one win and, and the Hornets a minus one win. So not that big of a difference as much as I thought it would. I Classic. think that 
uh, it says it's plus three points for defense and uh, for the for the Hornets and plus one point six one points of offense for the Pacers. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough right there. But uh, yeah, so many different trades. We're going to get into that later, and I think we can have some fun with that as the off season uh, goes on. We're going to talk about in, you know draft prospects, that kind of thing. But overall, just to kind of put a you know a, a bow on this season. A lot of changes have to be made and maybe not a lot of like drastic changes, but there has to be significant changes made to this roster and this coaching staff. I think to get the fan base excited about a potential playoff run. Without a doubt, changes will be made. And look, guys, I thank everybody for bearing with us this season, you know, bearing with the team, bearing with us covering the team, just everything in between, because this was a trying year as a Pacer fan. I mean, we went through a lot. I mean, lost T.J. Warren instantly. We entered the season like being like, okay, does Vic want to be here? When do we trade him? Is he a trade deadline guy? Like everything of the sort. We get Levert. Then you find out, oh, my God, he, he's got a kitty mask. I mean, things that you could have never, ever predicted happened. Bjorkren, the situation was a nightmare. I mean, we had been tested on so many different levels that it's like, hey, I think we finally know it's time to make some changes. Let the fun begin because the offseason, it's a whole, you know, mystery land of possibilities of anything could happen. Anyone could be coming to Indy. We could make a trade. Hey, the Pacers are picking as high as they've picked in years. Yeah. I mean, 13th, o- 13th overall. I mean, Alex, that, that's, you know, it's nothing to joke about. You threw out some some recent, you know, 13th overall picks, and we're, we're talking about some pretty good names. I actually have – List up right now, you Tyler Hero, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Zach Levine. I mean, there's even guys like, look, you know what? You don't really aspire to be a Kelly Olynyk, but I mean, hey, Kelly Olynyk's a, a, a solid player. I mean, he's no one's dream. Tyler Hansborough. Yeah, yeah, you know, you got the Tyler Hansborough. And then you also have, look, then there's also some guys that you never want being picked, like Georgius, you know, Papa Giannis or Papa Giannis, whatever it is that was just so bad. He's been out Dude, of the league. That's the Kings. Let's just stop. I, I know. Exactly. So it's like, look, there's, there's that, you know, every now and then there's going to be, you know, your, your, you know, Sean Mays, your, you know, Sebastian Telfair. It's like, but there, there's those, but there's a, a lot of recent success on the 13th overall pick that we should be excited for that. And look, crazier things have happened. Maybe the Pacers can jump up. I don't know. I'm not expecting it at all. I'm not. But what if this is the year? Alex, think about it. What if this is the year that the Pacers make a, a trade and they're, say, if they are going to deal one of the bigs, maybe Turner, and you deal them to, to be able to get another lottery pick? I think that would be something where – I'm not saying just for a lottery pick, but I'm saying if you can work out the right deal, I mean, it would be awesome to have two top 13 picks, you know, and get a player mm-hmm. back. I mean, I, I would love something like that. Because this team needs some youth to get behind and, and and carry this team for the next few years. And look, it was nice to see Cassius, you know, Cassius Stanley score eleven points yesterday. That's definitely his best game all season. But like, you know, his playing time was very limited. Being picked, I think, like fifty fourth overall, whatever it was, like, you know, expectations are they're they're kind of low. Whatever he does mm-hmm. positively is looked at as like, oh hey, no, that that was that was fun to watch. But we need guys that we could sink our teeth in, build upon, and like you mentioned, have them under contract for years. Yeah. Well, and here's what I'll say. I don't know if I, I can see us getting two picks, but I, I do think that there's a possibility that maybe you swap picks 
with one of the teams. So let's say, yeah, it'd be nice. You know, somebody that I've mentioned before, Toronto, if they want a Miles Turner, and you said, hey, we'll give you thirteen and Turner for seven and you know a salary cap filler, or or just seven and if they have cap space, I think they do have cap space this year with Kyle Lowry coming off the book. So if you just said, hey, we'll give you Turner and thirteen for seven, like, hey, is that worth? you know, moving up six picks in the, in the draft. I think a lot of people like some of the players there. Now, I don't know how much the Pacers value it. Another team that could make some sense is New Orleans, who's at eight, Sacramento, who's at nine. You know, these are all teams that we talked about in the offseason previously that could have interest in Turner. And and that's where you could say, hey, maybe we could trade Turner for one of their their draft picks. And they can say, hey, we didn't get, um, we didn't get uh, a draft pick, but we got Miles Turner, who can really help our team grow. But anyway... We got all off season to talk about this, Fachi. So it's a, a bittersweet end, but hey, we got the 13th pick in the draft and we're we're going to make some changes this off season. I really believe it. And I'm excited about where this team is headed. I am. I, the 13th overall pick for me, that, that brings hope. That brings hope <laughs> that we could be getting a good rotational player. None of that 18th overall pick stuff again. That is such a toss up. I mean, uh, I, the 18th overall pick for some reason, it, it just... I know it wasn't every year, but it felt like the Pacers were getting that pick quite often. And I'm scarred by the TJ Leaf, you know, pick of the past at 18. It's too much. 13th. It's cursed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels that way. 13th, that feels like you can get a good player there. And for that, I'm looking forward to it. Former Indiana Pacer Dale Davis was selected with the 13th overall pick and was a huge part of the Pacers' success for that next decade. I think that it was probably in the year of 91 or 92 when he was picked. So the Pacers are heading into 2021. Hey, maybe for the next decade, this player could be as important as Dell Davis was to the Pacers in that era, as this player will be to the Pacers in this era. Let's just hope hey. and pray that that's the case. But anyway, Fachi, I know that you have got to go. You've got things to do this weekend. So do I. Where can the people find us out on social media? Last thing, real quick, Kobe Bryant picked 13th overall. I'm going to end it right there. Hey, <laughs> best case scenario. But you can find us on social media, on Twitter, at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. You can find me on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram, at PacersTalk. And once again, I want to echo Fachi's thank you to all of our supporters. It does mean a lot that you stuck with us for, once again, another NBA season. We're going to be back as we always are every week covering this team, talking about potential things for the off season. And we've got ourselves a lot to talk about. So Fachi at the end of the day, even though the Pacers lost and the season is over, if you're a true fan, you got to stand up and say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.